You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. All right, hello. Uh, My name is Isaac. You probably all know that by now. Uh, But if you don't, uh, I'm a student. I'm studying at ETS, Edinburgh Theological Seminary in Edinburgh. And I'm here in St. Pete's on placement. I've been here for four and a bit weeks now, and I've got one week left to go. Uh, And it's exciting to be here. It's exciting to be standing right here. It's also very nerve-wracking to be standing right here. So if I stumble and fumble over my words, please bear with me. Uh, I hope we can get there uh, in the end. Um, It's exciting, but it's also a huge privilege uh, to be able to share God's word with you uh, today. Uh, It it really is. Now, we're going to be in Luke 10 tonight. So uh, if you guys want to make your way over there, we'll we'll get there in a minute. Uh, It's on page 1042 in these these red Bibles, the church Bibles. Now, we know that all of Scripture is God-breathed, that all of Scripture uh, is important for shaping and molding and directing our lives in God's righteous ways. But these few verses that we're going to look at tonight, uh, I think, are right up there in terms of importance for what it means to be a Christian, uh, for what it means to be a disciple, a, a follower of Christ, a follower of Christ with a heart and a mind transformed by the Holy Spirit, um, evident to others in how we live, in what we do, in what we say, um, demonstrating to others through our relationship with Christ, the glories of God, uh, in our actions and our attitudes. So today we're going to look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, And what I'd like to do is I'd actually like to start off reading in verse 30. So I'd like to start halfway through verse 30. And I want to just read the parable first, uh, alone. So it says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road when he saw the man. He passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travels, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to the inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you have. Now, before we go any further, I just want to have a quick word of prayer. Uh, We'll ask God for for help uh, to understand this. Um, Living God, help us to hear your holy word. Help us to hear your word that we may truly understand, that in understanding we may believe, and that in believing uh, we may follow in faithfulness and and obedience. Uh, Lord God, May the words I speak tonight not be my words, uh, but be your own. Lord, please put a guard over my mouth 
and protect your people from anything I may say that is misleading. Uh, Lord God, we seek your glory and your honor here tonight in in all that we do. Uh, Through uh, Christ our Lord, amen. So what we've just read is we've just read the parable then. Uh, This is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Now, I suspect that this is one of the best-known parables of them all. Now, I haven't tested this theory, but I suspect it is. Um, And also, I suspect it's one of the least well-understood. Everybody knows something about the Good Samaritan, right? I mean, even if you're not a Christian, uh, you know he was a good guy. He's walking down the road, he sees some guy in the ditch, and he helps him out. And to some people, that's what Christianity is all about, It's about being a good person. It's about being a moral person. It's not about judgment. It's not about atonement. It's not about a justification. It's just about loving one another, right? That's certainly the way that this parable reads. You you listen to the news and and, and you watch the whole debate on, on, on the homosexual marriage And and those slogans are big at the moment. Love wins. Love reigns supreme. All we need is love. And the subtext there is, well, nothing else. Certainly not Christianity. Certainly not Jesus. All we need is love. And you know, there are worse things a Christian could be known for than love. In fact, it's vital that we as Christians are known for love, that it characterizes our very being in, in what we do. But if that's all we're known for, And if that's all that this parable teaches, then Christianity is is really as good as useless. So, to understand this parable, we really got to set it in its context. And and, and Will did an excellent job this morning uh, of of, of explaining this, how, how we understand parables, what do they mean. And we really do. Context is so important. We've got to set it in the context of where it sits in Luke, where it sits uh, in the Bible, and also we've got to set it in the context of when it was first spoken, around about 2,000 years ago. So I want to begin at verse 25 then. Uh, Chapter 10, verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up and put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall or what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now here we have a lawyer and we have Jesus. Uh, And the lawyer, he's an expert in the law. He's going to be a member of uh, the Jewish leadership. He's a highly educated man. Now, this guy would have memorized the first five books of the Bible, off by heart, the the law of Moses. Uh, And he would have been able to recite them like that. So this guy's as sharp as a tack. And he stands up to ask Jesus a question. Now, to stand up in, in, in that culture was a sign of respect. Jesus probably would have been teaching, so everyone would have been sitting down around him. This guy stands up to ask a question. But we see from the text that he stood up to test him. And so what we've got here, we've got a a rather confused lawyer. uh, Because what he's saying and and, and what he's doing, they don't quite line up. There's a little bit of a contradiction here. And he asked this question, what shall I do? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now the question the lawyer asked is great, or I, I think it's great. And one of the reasons why it's so great is because this is a question that actually every single one of us has to answer. Our physical lives aren't eternal. And on that very basis, we have to answer the question, well, is there such a thing as life after death? Is there such a thing as a spiritual eternal life? And even if you don't believe in heaven, 
you've still got to consider this question of eternal life to write it off. And I guess if you've written off heaven, then you've probably written off hell as well, so there's nothing to worry about there. But if you stop, and you have to stop, and in the event that there is a heaven and a hell, and I'm not standing up here for nothing, wouldn't it be good to know if there was something to do to ensure that you're, you're going to heaven? Wouldn't it be good to know there was, if there was something you could do to ensure this eternal life? That's something to think about. Anyway, Jesus said in reply, he says in reply to his question, he flips it back on the, on the lawyer and he says, well, you're the expert in the law. What does the law say about this? Uh, and the lawyer replies, well, you shall love your God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. The lawyer answers with two commandments. Uh, these two commandments have their basis in the Old Testament. Uh, the first, love the Lord your God, is from Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6.5. And this would have been part of the Jewish, the Jewish law. Um, they would have recited this uh, multiple times a day, and it's all about devotion to God. Uh, you will love uh, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your emotions, with all your soul. That's the real you, the essence of yourself, with all your strength your drive and your energy with all your minds, that's your intellect, your understanding. Really, in short, you will love the Lord your God with everything. All of you. No, not one part is, is left out. And the second law, he says, is, is part of Leviticus 19. And he says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus calls these two laws the two greatest commandments. So we've really got to sit up here and we've got to listen because these laws aren't just something for a bygone era. They're not just something confined to the Old Testament and we haven't got to worry about them. Jesus has says, well, these are the two greatest commandments. In fact, in the book of Matthew and the book of Romans, uh, the second law, to love your neighbor as yourself, is said to be the whole fulfillment of the law of God. The Word of God, the Bible, tells us that everything that came before in the Old Testament is fulfilled in some sense by this law to love your neighbor as yourself. And then it goes on to say that in doing that, in actually loving your neighbor as yourself, we're not only fulfilling God's law, fulfilling his intended behavior for man, but actually we're filling his future intentions for mankind. We're filling his future intentions for, for the world and, and for his people and for history. I was writing this sermon, and it, it struck me. I, I thought, wow, can you imagine the command to love your neighbor as yourself? It's such a, such a fundamental part of, 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 of our faith, of Christianity. It's so central and so important, and, and yet so small. Love, love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so the lawyer's asked, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, what does the law say? And the lawyer recites these two commandments, these two foundational commandments, which summarize the entire, uh, entirety of God's law. And Jesus says, all right then, go. Fulfill the law and you will live. Do this and you will live. Now, I want us to know some similarities uh, in the original question and in Jesus' final answer there before we move on to the next section. Uh, the question was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And now Jesus, is, Jesus has said in response to this, 
Do this and you will live. There's a connection here between doing and between life. And when we look a little bit closer, there's a connection between doing and two strands of life. So firstly, the lawyer's question is about eternal life. Not eternal right here and now, but spiritual life. Salvation, the question of what happens when we die. And that, for the more theological types here, is an issue of justification. Now, the second type of life that we see in here is the life here and now. And this life, the law tells us, should be consumed with our love for God. It should be consumed with our love for our neighbor. Those of us who are Christians uh, should every day be growing in our love for God. Uh, intellectually, emotionally, um, practically doing everything we can to deepen our understanding, uh, to deepen our relationships, to be, to be developed, to be molded, um, to have our minds and thoughts transformed uh, as a follower of Christ. It's not normal uh, to become a Christian and, and then to stay at that level of understanding all your life. We are to grow. And this here, this then is an issue of sanctification. So we have justification and sanctification. Jesus is saying that doing, the pursuit and the practice of loving God is life. The pursuit and the practice of loving God and your neighbor, sorry, is life. Fulfilling these laws is the key to the fullness of life, both here, now, and eternal life. And I was thinking, you know what that Pepsi ad says, Pepsi Max? He says, live, live life to the max. And what Jesus is saying This is living life to the max. Loving God and loving your neighbor, this is living life to the max. And this is one of the reasons, I think, my experience of dealing with people uh, pastorally, this is one of the reasons why why people get so bored in church sometimes, so restless and so uncomfortable with their faith, is because sometimes some of us are very good at knowing about love, but we're not very good at doing it. Uh, a bit like the lawyer who, who stands up to test Jesus. There's a bit of a disconnect between our thought and our actions sometimes. We spend so much time sitting in services and uh, sitting in Bible studies and small groups and, and, and prayer meetings and so on, so on, so on, um, getting fed with good spiritual food. But we don't do any good spiritual exercise, and so we get spiritually fat and bloated and, and upset. Jesus says, do this and you will live. Fulfill the law by loving God and loving your neighbor, and you will live fully, both now and forever. Now, at this point, an obvious problem emerges. Is that some people start to go, whoa, whoa, whoa. (laughs) What is this salvation by works that you're preaching? Where's David? Get David back up here. (laughs) Are you saying I have to do something to inherit eternal life? What about the free offer of the gospel? What about salvation by faith alone through Christ alone? And I say, yeah, absolutely. Salvation is by faith alone, through Christ alone, by by grace alone. But Jesus also said in Matthew, for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not not the smallest letter nor the least pen stroke, um, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And John tells us that whoever loves God will keep his commandments, and that's all of his commandments, not just just some of them. 
So there's no getting around that the law is applicable to us. And so we've got a bit of a tension here. We've got an issue between, between the law on one hand, the requirement of the law to be fulfilled, and, and the free offer of the gospel on the other. So let's read on because the lawyer has another question and, and hopefully things will become clear. So verse 29, but he, the lawyer, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now the lawyer, having these laws confirmed for him, has gone, okay, great. This is great. And desiring to justify himself, now justify is a, is, it's a legal term, it's a term derived from the legal context of being acquitted say in a court of law, being pronounced innocent or being placed in favor. So desiring to be justified, this lawyer, he asks for some clear-cut guidelines. Who exactly is my neighbor? Now remember that this guy is a legal expert. He doesn't need to ask these questions. And he knows the answer. So he's fully expecting Jesus to say what he's thinking. And he wants Jesus to say, well, uh, it's your family, and uh, it's your friends, and Israel, and uh, all the other Jews, and that's about it. No one else. Just just maybe those people. See, Jewish law had had minimized that term neighbor to to basically just being other Jews, to, to being the covenant people. And anyone else wasn't their concern. So he's waiting for Jesus to tell him what he's thinking, and then he's going to go, well... I do all this already. I love God with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind and all my strength. And I love my neighbor already. Aren't I such a great guy? And everyone around him, everyone's going to go, oh, wow, you are such a great guy. That's brilliant. You're a, oh, you've earned eternal life. And he's going to go, oh, no, 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 don't worry. It was nothing. It was nothing. But I do do this stuff. But Jesus doesn't give him that answer. And what Jesus is going to tell him next is about to totally deconstruct this guy. And so, bearing this context in mind, we're back into the parable now. And we're going to go through it again with with this perspective. So a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now this this really is a road. And it really does go down. Um, the distance from, from Jerusalem to Jericho is about 17 miles, and it drops a couple of thousand feet. Uh, and it, 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 it's, a, it's a dangerous road. Uh, it's a bad road to travel. It always has been. You see right back to the time of Joshua, it's, it's a dangerous road. And something bad things happen here, and something bad is about to happen. Because our traveler comes across some robbers who strip him, beat him, and leave him half dead. Now, we see, we see that our traveler doesn't have a name. Uh, he's just a guy, and now he doesn't have any clothes either, and he's half dead, so he probably can't speak. And all of these might seem like minor details, but they're actually very important because we have no idea who this guy is. Now, even today, part of our identity is formed by what we wear and what we speak and, and how we speak it. And now this guy has none of those things. So... We don't know who he is, but we know he's a guy in trouble. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road. So enter a priest, fine, upstanding member of the Jewish uh, society, uh, a man of God, and surely he'll help. And he's likely on his way back from Jerusalem after doing a stint in the temple. Uh, He's from the upper classes, so he's not walking by, or he probably wouldn't have been. He's probably going to be riding by. So he's wealthy. He's got transport. This guy's got the means to help. 
But what does he do? Well, he takes one look at him, crosses to the other side, and carries on. Now, what do we make of this, uh, this priest? Now, there's a split opinion. Uh, and some people are quite harsh on him. They say, well, he's heartless. He's stone cold. You know, I know what I do. But I don't know if we should be so harsh on this guy, because this guy's got a lot to consider. Uh, primarily, we've, we've got the issue of the, the ceremonial laws of cleanliness. Um, now, this guy might be dead on the side of the road. Um, and if this priest touches him and he's dead, or if he comes within a certain proximity of him, then he becomes unclean. He'd have to go all the way back to Jerusalem. Uh, he'd have to uh, buy a cow. He'd have to undergo the, the, the cleansing ritual, which he'd have to organize with other priests. So he'd have to admit what he's done. There's a lot of guilt involved in that. All the time he's unclean. He can't collect the tithes. He can't eat the food that come with the tithes. And neither can his family, and neither can his servants. So there's a lot of time. There's a lot of money. There's a lot of shame uh, involved for not only him, but his family as well. So this priest is having a hard time working out exactly what is his duty required by the law here. And in the end, well, we see, we see his decision, his end decision. He, 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 he trots on. So I'm not so sure we should be so hard on the priest. Uh, he's just a guy. He's a guy bound by the law, a captive to the restraints of the law. And he's doing what he knows. N- next along comes a Levite. Uh, the Levite's another temple worker. Uh, he would have been a kind of priestly assistant, but he wouldn't have earned as much money, uh, and he doesn't have the same social standing or the same power. So he would have been walking by. Uh, no buses, no transport from, from uh, Jerusalem to Jericho in those days. Um, now perhaps the priest, perhaps the Levite would have known the priest was up ahead. This is, this is, this is speculation, you know. Perhaps they clocked off from work at the same time. Perhaps because the road goes down, he could see him. But either way, he doesn't stop. Now he's got less money. He probably doesn't have transport. And the priest, if he's seen the priest, well, the priest has set the president. He's, he's not going to go and he's not going to help this guy if the priest has walked by. Imagine if, imagine if the priest caught up with him in, in Jericho. Imagine the shame the priest would be subject to. Anyway, the Levite doesn't help. Can't help, won't help, and he's away. It's what happened next in the parable that, that, that really shakes things up for this Jewish lawyer. Verse 33 says, But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now the Jews hated the Samaritans. It was a grudge that went back a long time, hundreds of years, and they considered them to be half-blood Jews. They considered them to have a false center of worship, and they didn't quite have all the Bible either. They just had a couple of books. They wanted nothing to do with them, and it was no secret. So can you imagine Jesus telling this story to a Jew about the Samaritan that's helping. He doesn't only help. He really goes above and beyond the call of duty. He stops. He uses his own possessions to bind this guy up, the, the, the wine and the oil. Uh, he's putting himself in danger. I mean, what if this is a trap? Uh, what if the robbers come back that did this guy in and do him in as well? He puts him on his donkey. So he's walking. He's taken him on the donkey, and he takes him to an inn. Now, the, the inns wouldn't have been in rural areas. They would have been in towns. Um, so I want you to picture this for a second. You've got uh, a Samaritan walking in to a town in a Jewish region. It's going to be a Jewish, a Jewish area. Samaritan 
with his arch enemy, a Jew on his donkey, walking into a Jewish town. You know, that doesn't look very good, does it? No matter what the Samaritan's going to say, he's not going to come out of this very favorably. You'd think he'd just dump him outside the walls and leave him, but he doesn't. He takes him to the inn. He checks him in at the inn. He pays for him. He stays with him. We don't know if the Samaritan made it out of, of, of the city alive. Uh, but what we do know is that his concern wasn't for himself. His concern was for the man in need. Jesus asked the question, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? 37. The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, well, you go and do likewise. The lawyer replies, the one who showed him mercy. The lawyer can't even bring himself to say it was the Samaritan. How easy is it to say the Samaritan? And the lawyer says, no, no, the, the one who showed him mercy. Such is the, the coldness and lack of love in this lawyer's heart. Now, Jesus hasn't answered this man's question, and who is my neighbor, with a big list of names that the lawyer can tick off like a scorecard and trade in for the prize of eternal life. Jesus points out to him through this parable, actually, you don't love. You don't keep the law. You haven't earned eternal life. Now, notice throughout the parable where our focus is directed. Now, we start off, and the focus is on our man, the traveler. And uh, once he's in the ditch, once the scene is set, once he's half naked and half dead, the focus of the story changes, and it switches to these three guys that pass. As the story progresses, we're forced to, to examine, we're forced to consider who these travelers are. Jesus forces the lawyer to look at these guys, um, to analyze their actions and their response. And in doing so, throughout this parable, Jesus changes the lawyer's question from, and who is my neighbor? Or what kind of person is my neighbor? To what kind of person am I? We'll ask this question this morning. Jesus changed, the, Jesus changed the other man's question to, what kind of soil am I? Well, 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 well this evening we're answering the question, well, what kind of person am I? There's lots of, lots of self-reflection today. We, we don't like self-reflection that much. But what kind of person am I? He changes the question from, what status of person is worthy of my love? To, how can I become the type of person whose love disregards status. Jesus says your neighbor is anyone. Your neighbor is anyone in need, regardless of race, religion, uh, regardless of anything. For the rest of the very short time we have left, we're going to look at this. Um, we're going to look at this, this new question. How can I love my neighbor as myself? And How can I be that kind of person who, who disregards status? And we're going to say it straight off, and then we're going to fill in some gaps. Firstly, we cannot do anything of ourselves to inherit eternal life. Nothing. The law following rules and regulations cannot justify us. It just doesn't work like that. Secondly, the law cannot, in itself, make us loving people. Neither can all the self-will in the world or all the pep-talking in the world. The law cannot sanctify us. 
It can't make us nice people. It can't make us good people. It's impossible. Only the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives, which we receive by having faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and as our Savior, who came to die for us, who came to pay the consequences of our sin, can we be saved to eternal life? And can we become the loving people we should be? And hopefully we want to be. The practical selfless love that's required in, in, in loving our neighbor uh, as ourselves is, is impossible for us to achieve uh, uh, on our own. And deep down, I think we, we probably all know that. Uh, each person here probably has someone they don't get along with. Yeah? Uh, probably has someone that just, just rubs you up the wrong way. You just, you just don't meet eye to eye. And, and some people in this room will have people they hate. Some people in this room will have people that couldn't stand to be in the same room as someone else. Well, I want you to picture that person in your mind for a second. I want you to think about them. I want you to think about how much they really annoy you. You're called to love that person. God calls you to love that person, to serve that person as you serve yourself, as you take care of yourself, as you love yourself. We're called to do all of that to that person. We're called to put their needs ahead of our needs. And this, this is something utterly dependent on something outside of ourselves. And this is where the, the big problem uh, the lawyer had was. is that the, the lawyer, the expert in the law, was so fixated on his external behavior. He was so fixated on appearances that he really overlooked the big issue. His heart. He overlooked himself. He was so fixated on his behavior that he overlooked the heart that drove his behavior. In our natural state and left to our own devices, like the lawyer, we are under the condemnation of a holy God. Our sin separates us from God. And in our natural state, when God looks down on us, he sees our hearts and the verdict he gives us is guilty. Guilty and deserving of death. We're all guilty of breaking God's law. I think we probably all know that. We're all guilty because we're all sinful. We're all rebellious. We can't come near to God in that state. We can't enter the kingdom of heaven in that state. We can't inherit eternal life until we've had those sins forgiven. Only once we've been declared justified, declared innocent before God, can our hearts and our minds begin to be changed. And only then can we begin to love our neighbors as ourselves. The Christian life is, is a supernatural life. The power to live it comes from the Holy Spirit, a gift from God. It doesn't come from ourselves. The law was not given to make us loving people. And, and, and this was the problem that the lawyer had. This is what he didn't realize. The law was not given to change us. Whoever became a loving person because they were commanded to. I mean, if I commanded somebody to walk on their hands now, good chance they wouldn't be able to do it. Just because I asked you to, just because I command you to. Just say, if God commanded you to walk on your hands, would you be able to do it? No. Yet some of us, we see the law, we see the command, and we go, okay, right, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. And we try and try and try. And some of us last anywhere between five seconds and a couple of weeks, maybe, if we're good. 
And then what happens? Well, then guilt. Oh, I tried to keep the law and it didn't work. Oh, I feel so guilty. I feel so guilty. And, and you get stuck in this black hole of guilt. And eventually, by, by, by God's grace, he lifts you out. And you go, okay, I'll never do that again. Thank you, God. And then you go, okay, right, I've got to keep this law. I've got to keep this law. And you try and you try and you try and you fail again. And this time, the wave of guilt is even bigger. <laughs> the law serves in the first instance to show us our helplessness, to show us our weaknesses. But it also serves to show us the answer. If you go back to verse 27, the law is written in a very specific way. First, it says, first, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind. And then second, it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The latter love for neighbor is not possible without the former love for God. All love for our neighbor flows from God's love for us and our love for him. That's why the first law is the first and the second law is the second. We're only able to love our neighbors through the Father's provision, through, through the provision of the Holy Spirit. And you know, Loving others will, will, never be, will never be easy. Even with the provision of the perfect Holy Spirit, loving other, others will never be perfect. We can never perfectly love others. But that's okay, because we're not called to be perfect. Jesus has got that. Jesus has fulfilled the perfect part. Rather, we're called to try with all our strength, with all our heart, with all our minds, with all our soul to love to rely on God for our ability to love. And that means asking for the spirit of love every day. So I'm going to leave you with a question and with an answer. How? How then can I get the spirit to do that in my life? How can I become a loving person? And the answer is, trust the Lord Jesus Christ. The perfect image of God. Trust the Lord Jesus Christ. The Father is known through the Son. Trust that Jesus came to die for your sins, to reverse the verdict of guilty and deserving of death, to the verdict of innocence and adopted sons of daughters. Trust in Jesus and you will not only receive eternal life, but you will be transformed in this life, empowered to live a life glorifying to God, empowered to love your neighbors as yourself, empowered to demonstrate the glory of God to the people around you, to your neighbors, to show the people around you how great God is. The Good Samaritan is not simply a call to, to clean up your act or, or to behave as a Christian should. It's, it's, not a, it's not just a moral command. It's not simply a command to love people. It's a plea to turn to Christ. This parable is a plea to turn to Christ. Fullness of life, both here and now, is to be found in him, in Christ alone. And that's it. Amen. So a word of prayer. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you that you have chosen. Thank you that you've chosen the things of the world that people consider foolish, that people consider weak, to shame those people who consider themselves wise. Lord, help us to be childlike in our faith, 
Help us to be dependent uh, upon you for our strength, for our power. Help us not to be law-keeping adults, independent, but help us to turn to you. Lord, melt our cold hearts. Uh, fill us with your spirit and empower us. Empower us to love, uh, to love our neighbor with all our being, to love you with all our being. Enable us to be an example and to be a witness of your glorious grace to the people around us. Lord, we pray all this in your name. Amen. Sing now. We're going to sing now. We're going to sing now uh, by faith. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.